Welcome to the Team EF Coaching Performance Podcast, where we take information from the highest level of sport and make it accessible for all cyclists. Today, I'm sitting down with a special guest, Mr. Nikki Sorensen, who is a retired professional cyclist who raced professionally for teams like CSC and Saxo Bank Tinkoff from 1999 to 2014. So 16 years in the pro peloton. Throughout Nikki's professional career, he racked up an astonishing 1,000 244 professional race days, covering over 197,380 kilometers of racing. Nikki took a total of 12 victories in his career, one of which was a win on stage 12 of the 2009 Tour de France. Then Nikki became a director sportif up until 2022, all before joining Team EF Coaching. Nikki, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you not only here on the show, but as a part of Team EF Coaching. Well, thanks for the opportunity and, and thanks for the nice intro. I did not know those numbers. Uh, so that, that's a nice thing to, to know about the, the race, the, uh, what was the race kilometers and so, so that's really nice to know. Uh, uh, well, thanks for the opportunity of, of this. It's a, uh, it's a great, um, it's a, it's a great thing that you've been reaching out to me and um, I'm, I'm super excited about uh, joining your coaching team. Um, coaching riders is a, is a wonderful thing. It's, it's such a, a, a positive thing to, to be able to coach another person and be part of the development and be part of the, all these positive things, the good results. And, and as a coach, you feel you're part of it part of it in a, in a very positive way. So thanks for this, man. No, my pleasure. You know, what's interesting is there are so many great professional riders who leave the sport and you still want to participate in the sport, but don't necessarily have an avenue to do that. And when I saw that you were already doing some, some coaching on your own, I said, wow, here's somebody with so much experience that has the opportunity to impact people's lives out there who want to get better at cycling. And he wants to coach. So it was, it was a no brainer for me to reach out to you and, and try to get you on the team. And I'm so glad that you, uh, you were interested in joining us. So, um, here we go, ladies and gentlemen, we've got an action packed podcast for you today. Well, I don't know if it's action packed, but I'm sure Nikki's got some stories that are action packed and I've got a list of questions. Cause you know, when you, when you spend 16 years in the pro Peloton, you just, you, you gain so much knowledge and so much information about so many different things. And I really want to extract some core details for all the listeners today. So my first question for you is, Nikki, you spent 16 years living your life as a top level athlete in a world where only the most dedicated athletes survive. Looking back now, how would you describe your evolution as a rider throughout your career? Well, it, if we go back to the um, to the start, it's it. I started uh, before I was a rider. I was a, a runner, a middle and and short distance runner, and I, I started pretty late with with uh, with riding. I was actually nineteen the first year I was I was a rider, um, and then it was going up through the the ranks, like uh, saying from national level, going further up to being uh, as amateur in Italy. Uh, went down to Italy to get the, the shot there at becoming a pro. So a bit of a higher level there. And then I came and, and joined the Danish, uh, uh, what corresponds to a, a second division team, 
professional team and and um, throughout out these uh, um, going up through the ranks that the competition just got harder and harder and um, then when I joined World Tour at at the at the age of I think I was twenty two at that time twenty one twenty two I, I really realized that uh, this this is a, a a super high level it's like you have around more than 20 generations of cyclists where you have the best of them all in the world. And I, I kind of had to to reassess my goals a little bit about uh, what I wanted in uh, in cycling after uh, uh, I joined there because I, before turning pro, I thought I'm, I'm going to win the Tour de France and, and stuff like this. And I quickly realized that the, this is going to be a difficult one. So, uh, but I had a good career, yeah. So that that's fascinating. You say you you started out with shot put. No, so, sorry, uh, uh, running. I was a runner, middle dust, middle to long distance runner. I don't know how I misheard shot you. But what, what? Yeah, sorry. I thought you said shot put. I I I, I must have misheard you. Um, uh, that's so, so. You were a middle to long distance runner, and I think yeah. we've seen now l- later. We've seen a lot of guys come from. You know, we had Mike Woods on our team in the past, right? Mike Woods came from running and obviously everybody knows that story, but that's fascinating. So as you entered the ranks, I, things were a lot different when you started, you know, out as a professional rider than they are today, where now young guys get an opportunity to to ride and win races fairly early on in their career. Was it like that for you or did you really have to earn your stripes every step of the way when you started out? It was totally different. First of all, like the the, the the scouting for talents in 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 the pro cycling was not non-existent, but not even close to being at the level uh, like it is today. So uh, a lot less talents came through the rankings, uh, and and that meant that um, the professional riders were a lot more. Um, how do you say established for for a longer period of time and and, and today it uh, it uh, it changes a lot uh, you have like mid to high level riders suddenly within a few years it, it just goes further down into because all these young talents come up through through uh, the ranking so it's changed a lot uh, since back then i i, t- I turned pro in 99 as you mentioned uh, and uh, it was it was a whole different thing back then Right. So you, you come into to, to the pro cycling world, you, you start earning your stripes, 10 years go by, and you get a Tour de France stage victory. What did that mean to you at that point? Well, it, it, was, uh, it was kind of like um, I knew I was a, a, a good professional rider, but I wanted a, kind of like a diploma in order to show that I was a good professional rider. And that diploma for me was, was winning um, a stage in a Grand Tour. I did win one uh, in, in Vuelta España, in Tour of Spain. Uh, but, but the one in the Tour de France was kind of like the, the one where I could say, okay, I, I did it. I, was, I knew I could show I was a good rider because throughout my career, I was, um, I was um, mostly a domestic rider. I was uh, helping other riders win. It was a choice I made myself um, to to help others win uh, because I kind of felt like I didn't have the level to to be at the biggest races without uh, winning. But but that that 
feeling of of winning that stage was was uh, incredible. It was uh, coming into to the finish line area, and there was it was packed with people, and they. I came from somewhere in the middle of nowhere, you know, on, on small roads, no spectators, and kind of like it. It kind of I kind of realized that. I can win this one, you know, I went solo coming into the finish line and all these people suddenly cheering at the same moment as, as uh, I found out that I, I took a really big win. It was, uh, I can't describe it, but it was pretty intense. Well, the way you won it, and so for all the listeners, you guys can look at this victory. It's on YouTube. But the way you won it was a bike racer's win. Right, you were in the breakaway. You had attacked the breakaway. You had one guy with you who you felt you were stronger than. Three k to go. It looked like you guys were about to get caught by the strong chasers, and you jumped them. And you jumped them at the perfect time because the road was just transitioning from a a little bit slow to a slight fast downhill. And you just took a huge acceleration and carried that speed all the way to the finish line. When I watched that victory, you know, um, before the podcast, I was like, wow. What a bike racers win. So I had to ask you about it on air and, and, and share this story with <laughs> everybody. You, and for the, for, for the listeners, I, I suggest you go and you go and watch it because it's a good one. So I gl- after- I'm glad you noticed the acceleration, not to, to linger too much on it, but uh, because Lance Armstrong actually they came to me the day after in the peloton and said Did the he? same thing, man. That, that acceleration you know, that he saw it on television, he wasn't in, in the breakaway. But, but, but it was, that was it some was, it was, special acceleration that one day. It was perfect timing. And I think for a lot of our listeners out there, these are the things that, you know, will make you a better rider because where you accelerated on the road just amplified the amount of power that you applied to the pedals. So had you done that a hundred meters earlier, it would have been a lot harder on your legs to carry any speed over the top of that little rise. It was a small little rise. We're talking a 1% gradient, 2% gradient, something really small, but where you accelerated, it just maximized your speed because as you were peaking your power, you came down over the top of this little crest and just flew through this this valley. And I'm not sure if, what the wind was like that day, if the wind was maybe catching you on a tailwind. Yeah. yeah. So it was just, it remember, was just perfect. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but thanks, man. Thanks. So, Nikki, transitioning to a director sportive role, after a long career in pro cycling, seems like a natural fit. As a professional rider, you learn from your directors and kind of become a director on your own as you build a closer relationship with each event, all the parkours, road conditions, and the weather associated to it all. How would you describe your transition from the athlete to the mentor as a director? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit like you, you said. Um... Uh, it, it, it felt like a natural thing for me with, with all the experience uh, I had uh, because I chose to, to become a, a, a domestique rider, to be a helper. Uh, I got a chance to do a lot of the, the biggest races in the world. I did a lot of the biggest races and that was because I was a, a, a helper, you know, a part of, of the team. Um, at the same time, during the latter years of my career, I... Uh, I also had the role of being road captain or uh, sometimes at, at some of these races. So being the, the, the eyes of the sports director out on the road, he, he doesn't see a lot from the, from the car. Um, so I could be the one that would take, can it, how can you say the decisions, um, 
mid-level decisions and and leave the 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 high-end decisions for for the sports directors so so it was a role that kind of like i grew into that one and then they were mentioning in the team at that time i was in in uh, saxo bank it was called at that time um, then they were interested in me becoming sports director afterwards and uh, so that that was uh, the way I came into it. And, uh, and again, also, I wanted kind of also to, first of all, to explore how good I could become as, as a sports director. Mm. And, and then also to give kind of give back to the sport, give back to the sport that I felt like I, I got received so much from and, and give that further on to, to the next generations to, to try and help them uh, achieve some, some big goals as well. So, so how, how would you describe that to the audience? Because we, in, in cycling, we have all these names for things. And if you've never been a pro cyclist, you might not know what the roles are that represent these names. So as a road captain, what are your duties? What's your job? It's basically to, to guide the troops or troops, the other riders in, in the peloton, take decisions in the moment uh, when there's no time for uh, the, for the riders to explain what what is going on in the race to the sports directors and and then say for example are you covering breakaways in the beginning uh, letting them know who 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 uh, jumps and do we chase do we not chase because there's no time uh, often to to take these decisions over the radio when when you have split decisions to, uh, split seconds to to take those decisions so that was part of it um and then it was just um um it's a hard job because uh, uh, being a road captain you you kind of like uh, uh, responsible for for many things and you feel also you you're responsible for uh, a lot of the riders but at the same time it's a super interesting uh, part of of uh, of the tactical uh, the tactical aspect of the races because you have an impact you uh, a sports director that understands how to use a road captain in the right way and and um to to uh how do you say um give responsibilities of decision making in the race is is a road captain if you choose the right right road captain as well is 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 a huge tool for uh for these uh sports directors and for the teams as well because i got a shock uh sack when i when i found out the when I was in the car as a sports director, how little you actually see, you see almost nothing of what goes on in the race. So, right. so a good high level, um, road captain is, is very important in my opinion. So are, are you the guy in the Velon videos yelling, stay right, stay right. Yeah, <laughs> That's you. Interesting. And, and it's, what's, what's really fascinating about it is you got to experience all three sides of it. You started out as a rider, then you became the road captain, and then you, you were in the chair in the car on, at, the, at the back of the group uh, talking to the road captain. So that's some, some fascinating perspective. So, Nikki, I'm, I'm sure you had many standout moments in your career as a rider. But thinking back, can you pinpoint any moments that really changed the way you saw the sport or forced you to evolve? Well, it was probably like I, I talked a little bit uh, going up through the, the rankings uh, and, and seeing how, how much I needed to, to um, um, develop as a writer in order to, to, uh, to be uh, relevant 
in the sport uh, because the level was so high. Uh, and, and that was also part of the decision why together with the with the team manager, Brianna Rees, at, at that time, we took the decision that I was going to be mostly a, a rider helping other riders trying to win races. Um, this way, my my uh, career would, would probably be prolonged if I did that uh, job in a good way. So I, I think that was was the biggest wake up call that was actually coming into the pro peloton and kind of like having to um, come to terms with with my level and how much I probably could and could not improve as a rider and then assess what what I could do in the in, in the pro peloton um, according to to my abilities. How difficult was that for you? Because you know, the difference between the guy who wins the race and the guy who helps the guy win the race is what one one percent. You know, so how how difficult is that is that conversation that you have with yourself when you your whole life, like you said in training, you thought you were going to you know be a Tour de France winner, and then when you when you became a pro rider, you realize well maybe not. So is was that a difficult decision or was it just obvious for you and, and, and your passion to participate in the sport overrid that desire to want to be the Tour de France champion? How did you work that out internally? Well, it was kind of like it, it, I didn't to start with do it in the in the sense that it was going to be a static thing that is going to be this is going to be, be how I my career pans out for uh, the next many years. Um, but it was I, I think it would take year by year. I always had uh, as a rider and that's also what i try to teach the riders that i coach is to always try and see ways where you can improve um, and that was my goal throughout the whole career uh, seeing ways where i could improve for as rider. and this that's the beautiful thing about cycling uh, is that there's so many variables uh, you you can you can use in order to improve you can be training it can be tactical uh, um, uh, tactical decisions it could be the way you use your gearing the choice of material and stuff like this so um and then also back to to being a helper that was uh, um a thing also that i spoke to piano reason at that time a lot about is that that being a, a guy that would sit in the wind for a long long periods of time in the races it, it builds a lot of um fatigue in a good way and that you can transform into being strong very strong if, if you're like able to, to yeah i like to call that depth depth it gives a lot of depth and, and so i kind of used that in in order to try and become a better rider taking Amazing. the win for for other riders it was not my idea it was, it was actually piano's idea it was the way he sold it to me um, I then never took the next step up the ladder in order to be one of the stars. Uh, but at the same time, I never regret that, that I, 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 uh, I spent some, so much time helping others, uh, uh win. Um, can, can you think back on some of the different things that you had spent a lot of time developing as a domestique? Um, well, I was always a writer that was, was very much, um, Maybe in the zone is a is a wrong word for it, but but very much focused on my power output in the races, um, um, being as efficient as possible. Um, 
minimizing those accelerations and the peloton sitting in the right place at the peloton in order to for it to be spending as little energy as possible apart from taking the win for for the, the guys that were was helping so um i was never a guy that uh, um focused a lot about where i was in the race uh, and stuff like okay. this remembering climbs and stuff like stuff like this and and terrain and what exactly happened in the race it was more like in in the zone i don't know if that answers the the question that you you asked that well well the, that that's very interesting insight i think that's a that's a really cool perspective and, and it shares with us kind of how you navigated throughout the peloton right like being in in the moment and just taking one climb after the other instead of obsessing over the details that are coming is definitely one way to look at the sport but as a domestique right like i'm sure there were different components to your game that you really wanted to evolve over time for example did you ever think about oh hey you you know like i i, I got to spend a lot of time in the wind i need to really improve my ability to ride you know, just below threshold for like two hours at a time, or, hey, I, I want to be able to make an impact for my um, main rider 5k to go. So I really need to hone in on building some good explosive ability so that I can make the three climbs leading into the final before the, the finishing climb. Did you ever think about developing components like that throughout your career? Yes, uh, but not enough. Not enough, Zach. It's, it's one of the things I kind of regret for my own career is that that I never really worked with a coach uh, that many years. Uh, I, I did my own coaching uh, back Interesting. then. Um, yeah. And at the same time, we, we did a lot of racing compared right. to what what you do today. I, I had the, I think I, one year I had the the record of the whole peloton of for that year of, of most races. I think it was 111 days of racing in a season that's so, crazy yeah wow. compared to yeah a a an intense season this today how much is that 70 days 75 y days maybe. yeah if, if you're doing yeah. 70 races that's a lot of races yeah yeah so um but that's one of the things that i that, that i regret that i didn't spend more time actually uh doing strategy on 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 these things but but at the same time I knew how to to um, to uh, do some high level training. I learned it from at the time uh, as being a runner. I, I knew right. the the principles of of interval training and all that stuff and and uh, recovery and all 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 the things that I learned pretty early on because at that time running was was they were more in, advanced in terms of training than right. than the pro peloton. It's also a thing that's changed a lot over the years, but there weren't too many good coaches in 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 cycling back then. Whereas today, it's totally different. It's there's a high level of 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 coaching in, in coaches in cycling, and it's it's really developing a lot at at, at uh, for now. Yeah, but but that's the thing that um, yeah, I did my own training most of the time. I had a few coaches. Bjarne Reese was coaching me one year, and. Uh, and I had another coach one or two years and, and that's it. Otherwise I did it myself. But, but I, I mean, you really had the hard man's role in the sport of cycling. Like when you're doing 111 race days in a calendar, you don't have time to go and do periodized blocks of training. You really have to show up and rock out as hard as you can on race day and then spend the rest of the time recovering. Like that's, yeah. that's just the bottom line. I mean, you did 12 yeah. 
hundred plus race days in your career. That is mind blowing. Like, so, you know, thinking back now, you said that you kind of, that's maybe a small point of, you know, regret looking back is that maybe you didn't take the time or didn't have the opportunity to go and develop different components of your rider uh, craft. Is that something that you really focus on with the riders that you do coach today is developing unique abilities to participate in the sport? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Looking at that, uh, where are the areas where we, we, we really need to work on and, and at the same time doing a, 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 um, what I call a polarized training, uh, to be sure to work all the aspects of, of, of training from the very short accelerations or up to, uh, uh the more long endurance wise, definitely. Yeah. But, but, uh, uh, it's, it's definitely thing that, it, that is super important to, to find out what, what kind of rider you're dealing with and, and, uh, what is the next step going to be in, in terms of, of, um, of, uh, improving that rider or yeah, even improving on, 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 on the skills, your, your, um, the, the, the strongest suits of, of that rider. Yeah. One of the things I love about bringing on ex-professional riders in, into the coaching team is that intimate relationship with the sport itself. I had a great conversation with a medical doctor um, at World Championships, and you know we kind of came to the conclusion that you could have a PhD in exercise physiology or whatever it is you studied, and that's really just the foundation to start to understand the sport of cycling. Whereas the pro cyclist, somebody like you who has done 1,200 races, you have your PhD in the sport of cycling, right? Like an unbelievable amount of hours spent in competition. And so that intimate relationship you have with all of those micro accelerations, the muscular endurance, you're going to need to participate in 140 kilometer grand fondo, the type of accelerations that are going to happen, what the inflammation is going to be like on a long sustained climb, all of these different components, you're able to look at a parkour and say, look, your goal is to come top 10 in your age category. The people in your age category are going this fast. You're going to need to do this, this, and this, and this to be that person that you want to become. So I think it's really, I mean, I think it's misunderstood how much value somebody like you can really bring to a, 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 a anybody's, you know, cycling life and help them really achieve those goals because of that real, like, there's just no fluff in terms of the relationship you have with understanding what it takes to achieve the goals is what I'm trying to say. Would, yeah. would you agree? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and then also a thing that, that when you have been uh, a writer yourself, um, one thing that you do understand that uh, that's the recovery after races, how important mm -hmm. it is. And, and back to the thing that, uh, can you actually measure exactly how hard a race or a training workout has been? It's very mm -hmm. difficult to measure it exactly because there's so many factors that, that comes into play when, when you race, you know, um, mm -hmm. which doesn't measure on, on, on the power meter, maybe uh, not even on, on the heart rate, uh, stress, all these kinds right. of stress that you put yourself under, all these micro accelerations, which, which are, uh, such a big thing in in races you know how do you measure those and that's the thing where i've, I've seen myself uh coaching coaches over the years that bringing the riders the rider into the season it it goes very well uh, and mm -hmm. the rider is really fit coming into the season but then you kind of see uh, this 
trend that that goes like like this uh, yeah. for some riders uh, over the season and and one of the reasons for that is also that they don't understand how much time of recovery you actually need after some of these races in my opinion right i think it's also one of the things we, we saw this year in racing that really kind of had me thinking that cycling as as, as many we've made a lot of advancements in the last 10 years in training, like a tremendous amount of advancements. But if we look at, you know, the core strategy behind the wins at the biggest races this year, if we look at Paris-Roubaix, if we look at the Tour de France, and if we look at world championships, just to name a few, uh, we'll see much more traditional approaches into building form into those races. Uh, like you said, you raced 112 days before, or, or 112 days in, in, in one season, right? We didn't see that in Vanderpool this year racing Perry Roubaix. It was a slow, mythological build into fitness to be ready for Roubaix. Everybody was kind of questioning his form in the races leading into it. Is, was he really that guy, right? And the same thing going into uh, World Championships, where he used the Tour de France like a training ride. He never went above his limit. And so I think, you know, to your point there, at the highest level of sport, we've really honed in on that recovery aspect and not going above and beyond your limit when you don't need to. And I think that's actually something that applies to a lot of our customers out there. One of the things that I learned in, in, in my life is I'm not special at all in my ability to go out and do intervals. I'm not special. Everybody who's competitive goes out and trains hard. Where you get ahead is in better quality sleep. Where you get ahead is in taking care of your body, doing mobility exercises, recovery. These are the areas you really get ahead. And and, and people, they, they don't see that, right? They get so caught up in just going harder and harder and harder. And there's a certain point, whether you're a pro rider or an amateur rider, where going harder is not the right tool you need to use to build that house anymore. And so it's interesting that that's one of the things you're you're really passionate about. Hey, Nikki, something that isn't very publicly communicated is the close relationship between the directors and the riders. As more of a mentor figure in the director role, can you think of a moment that stood out to you where you were able to make an impact with your support or mentorship rather than your legs as you were used to as a pro rider? Yeah, there was. I have a few. Yeah, there was especially one uh, during the Giro d'Italia. Uh, I think it was three years ago, Alex Dowsett won a stage uh, in the Giro d'Italia from a break. That was an amazing uh, win. I remember it. Yeah. 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 And um, I was his sports director. I, I was a responsible sports director for that Giro. And um, before that victory, things weren't going super good for Alex. Uh, he was early on, according to him in the season, promised already a contract from the same team, Israel. Right. Um, and uh, during the the uh, Giro, he was told uh, it it's probably not going to happen. Or do, oh, man. You know, yeah. So I I spoke to him during the race, you know, and and uh, and he was of course very upset about this and very frustrated. We have to think about it. It's their livelihood of of, of yeah. these riders, and 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 for some riders, it can actually be that end of of your your career. If you don't right. get a contract, you know, it, it, it's that important. Um, and he was so upset about it that he was, uh, to at least to me talking about, I can't, I can't, uh, I can just leave this race, you know, I can make mm. a, a fuss about this. And, and, um, I had a, a, 
a very long talk with him and, and really trying to convince him to stay on point and um, right. looking at the bigger goal. And the bigger goal is to right now perform and, mm-hmm. and show the world, the cycling world that, that you need a, you need a, a contract for next year. There's no yeah. way to be better way of doing that than and going out and doing a result. And then he was at that breakaway and it was a hard breakaway. Um, some, some strong riders in there and he, he was dropped late in the final. And, uh, when he came back, he attacked just at the moment I asked him to attack, to be ahead of the next climb because he wasn't one of the good climbers. He was, and he went home, soloed home. And, and, uh, that win was, uh, I I've never cried uh, as over my victories uh, as a rider, but I did cry. Uh, at that point in, in the car, it was so emotional and, and, and to see that big win, uh, and, and, and as a, as a sports director, even though, you know, you're just sitting there in the car and, and helping a little bit, you, you kind of feel like you have a part in it and, and that yeah. that's the wonderful thing, which is also the wonderful thing about being a coach. You know, you feel like you, you really have part of, of the success sometimes. That's amazing. And yeah, and, I, another, another one was, was, uh, if. I can mention another one was uh, yeah, for um, sure. uh, a writer, the first year as a sports director, I, I started coaching at the same time as, a, as I became a sports director, just after my, okay. I stopped my career and, um, two of Norway, and that was in 2015, uh, the writer that I coached Jesper Hansen, a Danish writer, um, he ended up uh, winning a stage in, in that race and, and the overall, uh, victory, uh, and, and that was the biggest result that he has made in had made at that point. And, and still to this day, the biggest, uh, he's retired now that he has made in his career, you know, and that was also, a, a, a super emotional, not only to be the sports director, but also to have been behind him as a coach and to help him achieve the biggest uh, result he's ever done. It was super emotional. That was also a problem where, where I was crying afterwards. So, so it's being a coach is, is uh, and a sports director is, is uh, it, the emotions are, are, are sometimes intense in a, in a different way from what the, the writer experiences it. I, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to describe that feeling, right? Where, you know, because, because you're really in the trenches with the athlete. They're talking to you when things aren't going great. Like you were, you were in the hotel room with Dowsett. Dowsett, what a talent, right? And what a beautiful story that was. I remember, I remember that win so clearly. And I remember actually the interview he gave after that stage win where he talked about what he was going through. And he, and he talked about how, how it had been so hard for him. And so, you know, to, to learn now that you were on the other side of that, the guy in the hotel room saying, hey, Alex, you got this, man, just... Yeah. You know, keep your head screwed on straight. You got everything yeah. you need, you know, all the talent in the world to pull this off. You got to go out and, 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 and take it because nobody's going to yeah. give it to you. Right. So that's yeah. amazing. And then, you know, like you said, with your other athlete there, those are just, those are moments that are really hard to describe, but I do, I, I do know what you're saying. Like that is a very real thing when one of your athletes does something amazing and, and, and you didn't do the work. You're not taking credit for the, for the work, but you feel like you were a part of it. And it's just like an overwhelming feeling of emotion where like, yeah, you do, you want to cry. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're just yeah. so you, proud. You become, yeah. You become so invested. It's also like yeah. when you have riders doing races, uh, 
you you sit glued to the television to to watch how they're doing you know it's uh, yeah so you've been coaching you you mentioned now for several years since you started working as a director with some some high level riders you're winning pro races and having some great success what do you think originally drew you to coaching it was um it was part of uh, one of the reasons was actually that that oh i don't know if you heard professional bike riders talking about when they talk about sports directors they they say one of the things to say that he forgot quickly how it was to to be a bike rider um <laughs> that's one of the things that i i've also said that about a few sports directors when i was a rider you know you, you forget yeah. pretty quickly how hard it is that's that that's at least the the, the feeling amongst bike riders and and to to be um to be um complementing my my main role which was a sports director uh with with coaching riders i, I coached uh, around three to four riders each year uh, where I was a sports director at the same time was a way of of keeping that that uh, i felt like close relationship with the riders even closer than it is with 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 the with the sports directors because with with the coach it, it is the closest relationship I, I in my opinion so that was part of it to to be really connected to the riders and that uh, um and at the same time if you have a team that is maybe not um um performing 100% like let's say not not a super well functioning team at some inst instances um then by coaching riders at the same time as as uh, as being a sports director you you can have an impact in 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 the in some of the areas that you want to try and develop in the riders and and also in the team because you know how it right. is uh, with with the uh, with uh, riders it's it's also about sometimes uh, the first time you come in and do a uh, a big result the rider does a big result and then the whole team like uh, kind of like uh, raises the level you know mm -hmm. um you've seen that in 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 team uh, ef education and you guys are it, rolling in all in, that in all sports we, yeah. we see it in and it, that happens in every sport it's just part of yeah. being in a group that's succeeding and not even in all sports like that that happens everywhere in life when you're on a roll in your company or whatever it is you're doing yeah. like that that it's the same feeling right yeah, yeah. So that was part of it, um, and uh, yeah, I wanted to to kind of also a little bit like I didn't know how good I would be as as a sports director, so I could also try and have success as a coach okay. at the same time because I've never seen seen myself as an expert coach. Uh, I'm not, you know, it's it's not a thing I've never been doing full time. I'm looking forward to learning a lot from you guys. I will, and I'm already learning, but it, I was never, I've never seen uh, myself as an expert coach, but I did know that, that I, I could definitely develop a lot of riders, uh, to, mm. and get them up to a certain level, uh, and improve them a lot. And, and, and that was one of the things I also thought about like having maybe if sometimes it wasn't too successful on the road as a sports director, you can have the success of of being a coach at the same time combine those things and i loved it um i loved coaching uh writers and i still do this this day so um, i loved having that combination how 
you, you know, we, we kind of touched on it, uh, you know, a little bit earlier, but I want to hear your words. How would you describe that feeling you get when you see your athletes transform themselves and their abilities or the people they are over a long period of time? What does that feel like to you watching that? Well, you become, you become super proud and, and you become um, so invested in, 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 in how they do. And, and uh, one thing is also, uh, of course, uh, uh, doing big results out at, at races when, when they're doing that. That's, of course, the ultimate, but, but also just like um, feeling that personal, personal development through cycling is, is also a, a wonderful thing. But you, come, you become extremely invested uh, as a coach, and not only for the good things, but also when, when it goes bad for the riders, it, it's tough. It's, it's, it's tough. You've got sometimes to, to kind of like um, work with that part of it as well, you know? Absolutely. Not everybody has great days every day. And some yeah. athletes have like, it, 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 we have a, a director on the women's team by the name of Tim Harris. And he always says, uh, cycling is the sport of highest highs and lowest lows. And I think that exists true in the hearts of professional and amateur riders, whatever your ability is, if you're training for an event and you know, you have your, your, your heart set on a certain expectation and you get to the event and you, get a flat tire five kilometers from the key part of the course and your race is over. Like that feeling is heartbreaking. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, there's no way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. But then, but, but then the opposite also exists when you achieve something that's great and you've overcome so many obstacles to be able to achieve it. And you can't even describe all of the different problems you've had to solve and all of the decisions you've had to make that were tough to reach that point of achieving something, that same feeling, like you can't put words about around how great that feels like your tour de France stage win. like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, I, I, it's a silly question to ask you to describe how it felt. And I always, I always laugh when I see that on TV today, I'm like, you know, you, you see the rider cross the finish line. Like, so how do you feel? <laughs> it's like, you know, good yeah. luck. You know, you're like yeah, every rider, yeah. <laughs> every rider says the same thing. Jeez. I don't really know what to say. Cause uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, so it's, so it's an amazing, it's an amazing feeling. Well, you know, I, I have to wonder, you're, you're coming on board with team EF coaching. We're, we're so excited for you to, to be a part of the team. Where, where do you see yourself going with this? What's next for Nikki Sorensen? Well, to start with, I'll, I'll, I want to learn from you guys, uh, learn the way that, that you guys are doing it. It's next level coaching. I've already this, this short time I've, um, I've, I've been working with you guys like it, it's only um, uh, I'm not e even 100% set up yet uh, but it, it's getting there but but the short time I've, I've uh, the few days I've, I've been involved with this it's it's uh, I can it's obvious to see that this is next level stuff and uh, I, I just uh, love being uh, to to uh, see myself as a, a student I'm, I'm in here to to learn and I can learn a lot from you guys. So that's, that's a really interesting thing. I, I want this uh, to, to give it a shot at this coaching part. At the same time, I'm, um, I'm doing some TV commentating um, for, for Danish television uh, channel. I'm doing a little, little bit of, of, of bike tours as well. So uh, life, life is good. Life is pretty good. Uh, sports director 
Um, I'm not sure it, it, I will come back to that part of it. Um, it's, there's some really nice things to it, but, but again, it's also, it can't be in, in some situations, a, a really, really stressful job with a, with a lot of days on the road. It's psych being as we have to think about the, these, uh, professional bike teams is it, it's, um, there's so many variables in, in a, in a normal day of, of a professional bike team that, that you can't, uh, that you can't uh, control, uh, you, right. you're traveling around in the whole world with, with riders living in hotels, uh, flying around with equipment, you're, you're dependent on, the, um, um, material manufacturers uh, delivering on time you then you have things like COVID and stuff like this and it these things challenges can be really nice but but if you are in in teams where it's maybe not at teams that that don't have that are not controlling the things that they actually can control it can become a little bit too stressful so i've had a few bad experiences there but but uh uh, so I'm not sure that that uh, sports director is the future for me, and, and uh, but but that's also okay. Uh, I've I've tried it, you know, and then now now I'm involved, completely invested in in what I'm doing now. I mean, it speaks a lot of volume for for somebody like you to really you know come into the program because you know for the past couple of years we've been working really hard to build out systems and processes and make things you know, really easy for new, new, new coaches to join our program as we, you know, start to scale the business for, for new coaches to come in and join the program and, 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 and start to learn what we've been putting out, you know, so far. And so it's makes me feel really good to hear that you, you've been, you've been impressed with the training and, and, and stuff so far that we've, we've, we've got going, but I, I have to say, Nikki, you, you are absolutely not new to coaching while we have some new ways of, of doing things and some, um, formulas that might make things a little bit easier to, you know, train somebody to get a great result at their first grand fondo. I wouldn't underestimate all the experience you have in the sport, man, because for me, that's just a, such an amazing thing. And, and like I said before, we're so, so thrilled to have you on our team. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thrilled to be here, man. Thanks again for the opportunity, Zach. My, my pleasure. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of the Team EF Coaching Podcast. Don't forget, you can support the show by leaving a thumbs up or hitting favorite on this episode and by sharing it with your friends. We do appreciate you spending this last hour with us, and we hope that this episode has helped you increase your cycling knowledge base. So until next time, be well, everyone.